0: Welcome to the Empowering Agency Workers, a podcast for all temporary workers. If you're unsure of your rights, unsure how to find work, or just plain unsure, we're here to help. It's all too easy to be exploited, so your expert host Julia Kermode will empower you to succeed.
1: Today's podcast I'm really pleased to have with me um, one of my favourite employment lawyers Paul Chamberlain. He is head of JMW's Manchester employment team and he's got um, almost 30 years of employment law experience which is um, quite scary. He's He's got um, a particular interest in law replace, um, relating to the recruitment industry and he's got a good track record and is well known in that sector for advising and providing training on employment status issues which we're talking about today, agency worker regulations and all sorts of a whole host of complicated stuff that that we perhaps won't go into today because employment status is probably enough for, (laughs) for one episode. So welcome Paul, thank you so much for joining us.
0: You're very welcome, thanks for the invitation, nice to be with
1: you. Brilliant, so cracking on with employment status what is it and why does it matter? Well
0: oh, goodness gracious. What is, what <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, okay, so it, 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 in a nutshell, and to try and keep it relatively s- simple, there are broadly three categories of people who provide services and who are recognised for legal purposes in the, in the UK. You've got, I'll say at the bottom end, because they have the least, uh, 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 by way of statutory protections, you've got self-employed people. So mm-hmm. people who are legitimately and i stress the word legitimately in business on their own account they are yeah. truly self-employed those individuals have got very few statutory rights um, and broadly their rights derive from whatever contractual agreement they have in place with their client yeah so um there are some minimum obligations that clients owe to self-employed people you would unfair dismissal protection uh, the right to receive a statutory redundancy payment the right to receive the national minimum wage That those those mm. rights don't apply to purely or legitimately self-employed people
1: okay. you then got
0: the second category which is called a middle category which is um people who are called workers um yeah w- w- workers is a is a defined f- phrase that they have more rights than purely self-employed people but they have fewer rights than the third category which is uh, employees so workers do have the right for example to receive the national minimum wage Mm -hmm. they also have the right to receive a minimum amount of paid annual leave yeah each year um uh, but they don't have for example the right to, to claim that they've been unfairly dismissed they don't have the right to receive a statutory redundancy payment um so that brings us nicely onto the third, I call the top category, and they're the ones mm-hmm. who have all the rights. They are employees. Um, so if you're an employee and uh, you have a contract of employment with your employer, you are in pole position because th- th- as long as you qualify for those r- rights, you have well over 100, believe it or not.
1: Oh, wow, um, okay.
0: rights. Um, that That's the place you want to be if you want employment protection. Um yeah. Yeah. But, but but that, in a nutshell, is the sort of employment landscape, the three broad categories and the, and the rights that go with them.
1: OK, and most of the listeners to, to this podcast will be um, agency workers. So they, they would be... I assume, temporary workers um, engaged through the agency or they might be employees um, if they're engaged um, and employed by an umbrella. And is there yet another category of agency worker? Is, is that is that different again um, or is it just worker who is engaged by an agency?
0: OK, so, so, so there is a specific definition of agency worker for a piece of legislation called the Agency Workers Regulations, Okay, but, but, but let me just park that for a second because that that might take us down a, 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 a bit of a, a rabbit hole. <laughs> um, if, we, if, if we just talk about the normal method of supply through an umbrella or through an agency, yeah, um, most agencies, if they engage the worker directly, will probably engage them on what's called a contract for services. Mm-hmm. That means that they uh, they are engaged as a worker, so the middle category of the three that we've just discussed some agencies do still employ their temporary workers and um, many fewer agencies now than was the case because under the agency workers regulations there was a particular advantage that you could secure if you employed your uh, your agency workers on a contract of employment it was called a swedish derogation contract but that that's now been abolished so the the uh, the sort of need or the benefit attaching to employing directly uh, a, a worker by an agency on a contract of employment has gone, but there are mm. some agencies who directly employ their workers on a contract of employment. If you're supplied to an agency through an umbrella company, most umbrellas uh, or, or, the, or the standard method of supply will be as an employee. So you will sign an employment contract with the umbrella. The umbrella will then have uh, a, a contract with the agency to supply you to the agency, and the agency will then supply you on to the end user client. Um, agency workers, um, I use the phrase agency workers, at least when I'm not talking about the agency workers' regulations, I use the phrase agency workers to mean anybody supplied by an agency, whether yes. that's an umbrella employee or a, a directly engaged PAYE worker by the agency. Um, you get into slightly murky territory where you are considering another type of supply which has become less prevalent over the last twenty-four months or so because of IR35, you've got limited company contractors,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so a lot of agency workers have and some still do supply their services through limited companies. That's yeah. usually a personal service company, um, but IR35, because of the because of the tightening of those restrictions over the last. 24 months or so, um, has made that type of supply a little less common than perhaps it otherwise was. Um, Those workers, and interestingly, I'm talking to a couple of clients about this very point at the moment, Hmm. those workers, it's not clear whether they have the benefit of the agency workers' regulations um, right and again i won't go into too much detail on, no. on that. it's because of the definition of agency worker it what's abundantly clear however is that an, an umbrella employee and um, and a paye worker directly engaged by an agency they are um agency workers for the purposes of the agency workers regulations and they get the protection of those regulations, as well okay. as the other protections that workers and employees get.
1: Okay, okay, great. It, it's quite complicated, isn't it, all of, all of this stuff? And I guess that that's probably why we see so many kind of employment status disputes, because there's a bit Oh, when I think back just even the last five years, there's, there's stuff all the time. Um, like this year, we've had the Uber case. Um, going back a couple of years, we had Pimlico plumbers. I mean, what, what in a nutshell are, I know each case is different. So I'm asking a lawyer here to be very broad, but, but what, what, what are those? case is kind of all about if if that's not a ridiculous question
0: <laughs> no 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 it's absolutely not a ridiculous question what i would say to start with is that none of this is new mm, okay these types of employment status issues have been around for many many decades yeah. uh, you know some of the case law that's referred to in these cases is, is old it's very very old mm. i mean there are some cases that date back a 100 years or so wow. So, so, when people see cases like Pimlico Plumbers and Uber hit the headlines, they think, oh, this is all new. This is new law. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: It's actually not new law at all. It's just the old law or the current law being applied to a particular set of circumstances. And the reason Pimlico Plumbers and Uber have sort of hit the headlines is because over the last few years, we've seen a move towards um, what people colloquially call the gig economy. Mm-hmm where there are different methods being used by creative employers to retain or engage their workforce. And yeah. um, that might be worth talking about Uber okay. because Uber, Uber's the people people recognise. And, and in very broad terms, Uber's business model was, we'll engage you as a self-employed worker. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have a, a worker contract with us. You don't have an employment contract with us. What we do is we agree with you that you can use our software platform on the phone, which will be your way of attracting customers uh, and generating income. Um, Now, a a lot of Uber drivers uh, wanted that self-employed status and they signed up to it. Um, But a number of Uber drivers actually, when they started to think about it, challenged that uh, that sort of legal basis Mm. that Uber suggesting um, uh, was applicable and and let's cut to the chase the reason uber wanted to engage their workers on a self-employed basis was because that meant they wouldn't then have to pay any employers national insurance contributions to the exchequer and that of course meant that their cost um uh, their cost burden was lower Mm. Um, and that then meant that the fares Generally, would be lower than they would otherwise be if the individual was yeah. a taxi driver. Yeah, uh, Uber have said from the outset that they don't regard their, uh, themselves as a taxi firm.
1: Yes, they're a they platform
0: regard simply as the provider of this wonderful software mm. on, on the phone. Anyway, there was a group of people who said, "Well, actually." we're not doing very well out of all of this. We don't get the national minimum wage. We don't get any time off. And the way that Uber treats us is actually more like, um, uh, we are controlled by them, we're supervised, we're directed by them. We're not truly self-employed, even though that's what the paperwork says. Then there was a whole series of cases. So there was an employment tribunal case, which Uber lost, Mm -hmm. the Employment Appeal Tribunal case, they lost again, it went to the Court of Appeal, they're lost at the Court of Appeal, and then we ended up in the Supreme Court, which is the the most recent case. And lo and behold, the Supreme Court agreed with all the other courts and said, "No, we don't think these people are self-employed." And when you look at all of the factors and all of the issues that uh, that arise, the factual circumstances um, ride a coach and horses through the contractual documentation. Okay. So the contractual documentation says you're self-employed. Yeah. But that doesn't matter said the supreme court because uber treat you as if you're a worker they, they didn't go as far as to say that uber drivers were employees mm. so they haven't put them in that top category but they have put them in the middle category and said the relationship is close enough yeah between uber and the and the driver for it to be a, a, a worker contract so that means uh the uber drivers affected by that decision are entitled to national minimum wage they're entitled to pay an annual leave. They're entitled to be enrolled in a an auto-enrollment pension scheme. Okay,
1: yeah.
0: So all, all of the things that workers are entitled to, the Uber drivers now get, and Uber will have to, if they're not already, give some serious consideration to what that means for their business model.
1: Yeah, and the, you kind of outline there several stages of the legal process um, and, you know, going to tribunal and appeal and Supreme Court, and... Um, so I guess there must be quite a large financial motivation on, on Uber's behalf. And it's probably wrong of me to ask you to speculate on, on that. But I mean, that, that must be what's driven them to, to kind of question the, the court's decisions all, all the way through.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And if you, you, know, if you just look at the national insurance contributions mm. that they are now going to have to make as a consequence of those self-employed, so-called self-employed people actually being workers... That'll put somewhere between sort of twelve and thirteen yeah. percent
1: to
0: their cost, yeah. um, which is huge. Yeah, It's massive, um, and 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 that was the reason they had to fight it right the way through, um, because it, it's it's fundamental to their to their business model. But not only that, um, there is some suggestion, and I've got no inside information on this, by the way, but there, there, there is some suggestion that all of the workers affected by the Uber decision in the Supreme Court. Might be entitled to somewhere up to about ten thousand pounds each. Yeah, gosh. In terms of compensation for payments that they hadn't previously had. So, if you're dealing with hundreds of Uber workers, each of them um, potentially. potentially making ten thousand uh, pounds, there's quite a lot of money involved there as well. Yeah. So, um, but, but of course, it's not just Uber. You you look at some of the courier businesses mm. around the UK. And they engage their workers on a so-called self-employed basis. And uh, it's arguable, isn't it? And indeed, some of the courts have have, have decided cases in favour of the workers, again, as they have with with the Uber drivers. They've said, no, it, it, you know, the fact that your document says that Mr Smith is self-employed and that if he's not available, he can send a substitute, um, well, that doesn't really work in practice yeah. because when you analyse how Mr. Smith does the job and how you direct, supervise, control him. Um, actually, he's a worker.
1: Yeah,
0: he's not he's not really in business on his own account. He doesn't have the autonomy that someone who is self-employed ought to have?
1: Yeah, that that's the crux of it, isn't it? It's almost saying that the contracts could say one thing, but if the reality is different, then it's the reality that matters. Um, I'm not suggesting that that the contractual provisions are fake um, by by any stretch. I'm sure there's some sort of middle ground, but if if they don't reflect working practices, then then it's 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 the working practices that that kind of. Take precedent.
0: Correct. If 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 the document's consistent with the working practices, that's Mm. fine. But if there's a if there's an inconsistency in the documents designed to reflect a particular circumstance, but on the ground it's different. Mm. The courts are not stupid, (laughs) despite what people might think. They're really not (laughs) stupid. They will look at what actually happens rather than what the document says.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you're quite right. These cases are not unique to, to kind of Uber. Um, and and actually, I'm sure Deliveroo put themselves up for sale uh, within weeks of the Uber judgment. And there was a bit of an outcry. And they didn't reach the sale price that they were hoping for in terms of shares because um, because of all these concerns around another potential gig economy Um uh, case, but anyway we 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 digress um coming back to agency workers, what should they be looking out for then in terms of employment status i I guess probably looking at what's in their contract and whether that reflects reality um but but you tell you tell us
0: yeah i think they've you know agency workers when they're looking at an assignment obviously will now be provided or ought to be provided with an enormous amount of information up front mm, mm. And that information should very clearly set out the basis on which they're going to be engaged and um, that's the same for uh, engagement directly by an agency or by an umbrella so The landscape over the last couple of years has changed very much in favour of the worker and in terms of the information that they should be provided. So it's always sensible for you to look, if you are an agency worker, at all of that Mm. and be satisfied that the basis on which you're being told you're being retained or engaged is the basis on which you want to be
1: uh, engaged.
0: I've always found, I suspect you have, Julia, over the years, I've always found that... um, the mentality of agency workers is slightly different to the mentality of what I'd call traditional employees. Mm. Um, and, 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 and how do I best explain that? I think that there's a, that there's an inbuilt flexibility, yeah, uh, with, with, within the agency workers mindset that there perhaps isn't if you're considering or looking at traditional employee. And yes.
1: um,
0: so, so w- with that flexibility, um, uh, Comes some recognition, I think that perhaps the 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 the, the, the normal arrangements would, wouldn't apply. Mm, uh, mm. But 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 going back to your original question, be, be clear if you're an agency worker, understand or attempt to understand the nature of, of the engagement, and if you're not sure, ask. Most of yeah, uh, most sure. of my agency, uh, in fact, all of my agency and umbrella clients, will very very happily talk you through what they're trying to achieve and what the documentation is designed to do. So you shouldn't be in any uh, in any uncertainty at all at the end of that engagement process.
1: Exactly. And um, yeah, when, when you're saying about kind of the different um, perspective, if you like, of, of agency workers, I totally know what you mean, because there is this kind of um expectation to work lots of short term contracts if if that's what they want to do so they don't necessarily want to be employed in the in the way that we've just outlined with the gig economy cases and and actually so long as you know What you're signing up to, what what that entails, um, you know whether there's paid holiday, pension, whatever whatever that might be, then then that that's kind of your your choice, I guess.
0: Correct, and and if you want total flexibility, and a lot of you know straw polls of agency workers over the years have made it very clear that one of the reasons they're agency workers is they've made a positive choice to be an agency Mm. worker because it gives them a whole range of flexibilities that they wouldn't otherwise wouldn't have. If you want the flexibility, you've got to recognise that you perhaps then don't get all of the rights. Yeah. So so summing up that point, I would say if you want flexibility as an agency worker, aim for worker status rather than for employee status Yeah. and recognise that if you're in that middle category, you perhaps don't get all of the rights that you might otherwise have, but you do nonetheless retain an enormous amount of flexibility over when you do the work if it's offered to you you can turn it down and if you're an employee of course one of the central tenets of employment is that if you're asked to do work you don't have the choice of turning it down yeah and it's that obligation of personal service if you're a worker on a contract for services you absolutely do and most of those contracts have a line written into them that says we're under no obligation as the agency to offer you any work Mm. Uh, and if we do offer it to you're under, under no obligation to accept it and that's ultimate flexibility which yeah. most agencies seem to want
1: yeah and that that's quite good isn't it because then that that's a trade-off that you're consciously making as an agency worker um and i i think i think that's that's probably the most important point is that being conscious and being aware of of it and and making that choice um uh, if you can so i think We've we've had a very quick canter through what is a huge subject. So I'm really impressed that that we've we've done it so quickly. But we we like to keep these podcasts short. Um have we missed anything or are there any final points?
0: Um, no, I wouldn't say so, other than perhaps to to make the point that I don't think we've seen the last of these high-profile status mm. uh, cases. I think there will be more coming through the pipeline and they'll hit the headlines because the the, the parties involved are household names. and yeah. um, but, but let's not all get too excited about it because as I say it's not this is not new law. Mm-hmm. This is old law being applied to a particular set of circumstances. Um uh, but let's let's watch this space.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think there will be more cases. Um, I'm I'm sure. Well, thank you, huge thank you for you, for your time um, recording this today. It's really really helpful um, and a massive subject. So, so as I say, I'm really impressed and and thank you so much Paul You're
0: very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Empowering Agency Workers, hosted by Julia Kermode For more information on today's discussion, please visit iwork.co.uk where you can also join our growing community. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and if you did, then we would love you to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. We'll be back at the same time next week.